0: Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, happy Mother's Day to mothers here and abroad. I, uh, it's funny, I really, um, Growing up, like, I obviously celebrated Mother's Day, but I was kind of a punk and didn't, really, I was like, there's a Mother's Day, there's a Father's Day, why isn't there like a kid's day? And then I had a kid of my own, and I realized that mothers deserve to be celebrated literally at least 20 times a year. Uh, being, I've been single-dadding it for like the last week, I have another week to go, and I'm like, Mother's Day should be the most pinnacle holiday of the year. <laughs> I don't care about a little card from Hallmark, they need like, I don't know what they need, two-week vacation. In the in the Caribbean or something, because man, it is a lot of work. So, if you're wondering if I'm a step slow, that is probably the sleep deprivation of some sort getting to me. So, uh, today, I uh, we're moving into a really exciting passage of Matthew. It is uh, actually the most important uh, passage from chapter four until 16. So, if you open your Bibles and you're in Matthew, Matthew's like 28 chapters long. And uh, the, what is going to be said here will essentially be like the, the foundation, the concrete foundation, for the next uh, 12 uh, or so chapters. It's, it's a huge piece of Matthew. Matthew, um, if you've been following along with us, he's writing to Jewish people who are um, in the synagogues, which are like their, their, their temples at the time. They're trying to figure out if this Christ is really real and if they follow him, what that looks like. And Matthew does this thing where he takes his, his story, and it's not fully chronological. He'll pull pieces here and there that don't always... Correlate chronologically, um, but they're more, they're kind of a, a systemized theme. And so for the next 12 chapters, this will be the portion of Matthew that's considered his public ministry, which is Jesus doing things out in the open. And then after chapter 16, we see his private ministry, which is really him spending most of his time with the disciples up until he is tried and, uh, and executed and, uh, and resurrected. So the, the next 12 chapters are like the, the meat that we think of of Jesus. And I want to ask uh, this question to kind of start us thinking here, because one of the most consistent things that I say about Matthew is that you often, what he's doing is he's creating like this 360 view of Jesus, and you, you most times uh, realize, oh, there's pieces of Jesus that I actually maybe didn't realize, or there's like components that he highlights more that I, I wouldn't have thought. And so the first question I want to ask you that kind of opens this up is, if, uh, if, you, if, you, had to, if you were walking alongside Jesus, let's say he's just a normal guy, and he dies, and he has a tombstone, right, and you would get the honor of putting on this, like, one-line phrase, right, it's like an Instagram bio, of Jesus' life, what would you put? So, if he dies, and let's just say, like, you, you're in charge of, let's say he, he goes to the tomb and you get to put something on the rock that they roll over the tomb, what's the phrase, like, what's, what's the thing that, like, would just encapsulate Jesus and who he was on earth and his message? And I think about that, and, um, you know, a lot of us have different ideas. We might, a lot of us would probably say, well, I, I'd probably put the golden rule, right? Like, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others what you want them to do to you. Like, that's, that's, like, classic Jesus, right? Or maybe it'd be some sort of, like, really, like, powerful line from a parable. Jesus tells lots of parables. Maybe it would be some sort of healing that he did. I started to think about the things that Jesus prioritized while on earth. And when we read the Gospels, we get a lot of the stuff that he does but it's not like each apostle saying this was the most important thing Jesus did. And so we kind of have to do a little bit of digging. We have to really read through the gospel and let it live in us so that we can figure this out because I would argue that today is what I would call the, um, the Jesus Tattoo Day. Uh, if, if any of you have gotten like, a Christian tattoo on your body or something or you want to, uh, you know, sometimes you get like, a Greek word that means something or a Hebrew word or maybe you get a verse, like reference or something like that. This is, this is what I would argue is, is the tattoo that if you, had to, if you had to figure out what was Jesus' main goal, what was his thesis on earth, thesis is fun terms, brings back research papers, but what is like the main goal he's getting at? Everything is centered around. And what is the tattoo that you put on your back of what he said? It is actually in this passage. And it's purposely in this passage because Matthew is taking this ch- these chunks and he's showing you like this is what is being said and being like f- the foundation of the next 12 chapters. Uh, so let's jump in verse, verse 12, and then we'll get to answer that question. Verse 12, now when Jesus heard that John had been imprisoned, he went to Galilee. Last week we talked about uh, the temptation of Jesus out in the wilderness, but before that, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, who was the, the forerunner for Jesus. He was uh, shouting out the message, repent, the kingdom of God is near, and he was baptizing people for their sins, and, and uh, John gets in trouble. Uh, because he called out one of the kings for basically committing adultery with his sister-in-law, with the king's sister-in-law. And so John gets jailed. Uh, it was not a good idea to, to go against the king. Um, and so this is where it kind of gets a little bit confusing. There's a lot of different regions and, and names and cities and things like that. And so I'm actually going to be, I'm really excited for this. I'm going to pull up a map. If, uh, if you want to draw a map on your notes, you can. But uh, this is a map. It's, I know it's fuzzy, so don't, like, you, you're not going to read it at all. It's okay. But uh, this is a map of like the whole area that we're, we're looking at right now. And what had happened was Herod, the original Herod, King Herod the Great, was the one who wanted to kill Jesus. He sent all these soldiers to go to Bethlehem to kill uh, all these boys because he wanted Jesus dead. He was extremely prideful. Well, when he dies, the, the kingdom is essentially split into three of his sons. And uh, so it, it, like, the whole kingdom itself was Herod the Great's. Uh, like, all of those colors, basically. And then whenever he dies, it splits into three chunks. And so you have this green chunk, uh, which is given to Archelaus, which is where Jerusalem is. And so Archelaus is over, like, the big city of Jerusalem. But then you have Galilee and Perea, which are, like, split, actually. And they are by Herod Antipas, who is who John calls out. So John, if we remember, I wish I had a pointer, but he's baptizing just north of the Dead Sea in between Perea and Judea. And so he's kind of you know, influenced by both. He calls out Herod Antipas, who's in charge of Perea and Galilee, uh, for sleeping with his sister-in-law. And he gets jailed in Perea, which is where Herod, was, Herod Antipas was living. But, but if you see, Galilee is also still controlled by him. So Jesus actually retreats from that area because he's basically saying the same things that John had said, and John was getting jailed. So, so he moves the whole way up to Galilee. And, uh, and we see that also Nazareth is in Galilee, so he, he had grown up in this region. Um, but if you're confused about the names of everything, think about it like this. Uh, the, the United States is essentially all of Herod's kingdom of Israel, and then a state would be like Galilee, and then a city would be Nazareth or Capernaum, which is what we're going to talk about. So sometimes you get confused, you're like, wait, Galilee, it's, it's a region, it's not, it's not a city, but it's a culture. Uh, and so... Uh, Jesus is up there for the ne- basically the next 12 chapters. I mean, he spends almost all of his public ministry in Galilee. He'll go back and forth to different areas, but they're almost all in Galilee, and they're surrounded by that little sea up there, which is probably better described as a lake, the lake of Galilee. And he'll be doing all of his ministry there, just floating back and forth, going from one city to another. And uh, that kind of gives you a depiction of where he's at in that. A couple of unique things about, uh, about Galilee is Galilee had been infiltrated by several different um, communities that were Gentiles, which were not Jews. And so uh, Jerusalem looked down on a lot of the upper regions of Galilee because of all this influence that had infiltrated their Jewish culture. It's kind of like, the best way to put it is, uh, it's kind of like you are an OSU fan and you live in Columbus and one of your friends goes and moves up to Ann Arbor in Michigan and you're kind of like, why are you going up there? Why would, why would anyone good go to Ann Arbor? They're a bunch of full bunch of Michigan fans, and you can have a bit of disgust for them. That's pretty much the same thing that was with them. It was like I'm not going up there. That place is a dump. Bunch of Michigan fans up there, and and so in the same way, anything from Galilee, it was kind of like they didn't really go up there a lot. They made fun of it, uh, and so so Jesus, it says in verse 13, while in Galilee, he moved from Nazareth, which is where he grew up, a little a little uh, podunk town. Uh, to make his home in uh, Capernaum by the sea, by the lake. So it's just south of the lake of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, which you probably don't know or have heard of, but we're going to get to what that is in just a few verses. Uh, It says, So that what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. Remember, Matthew is constantly pulling Old Testament. He's allowing us to remember that all of the things that Jewish listeners are hearing from this gospel account is, indeed, the things that they know and understand. They just weren't seeing it in the correct light. So we read, if you look in your Bible, it's probably indented or maybe bold or italicized. It says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the uh, the way by the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light, and those who sit in the region in shadow of death, a light has dawned. So uh, 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 Matthew is quoting... Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, if you want to turn there, I'm actually going to flip there in my, my Bible app, um, Isaiah 9, Matthew's quoting this, this scripture that's essentially saying that someone would come, a savior would come, to this region, so this is really nerdy, but Capernaum was the split of those two lands, land of um, Zebulun and Naphtali, and it is now modern, it was modern day, Capernaum at this time, so it's essentially exactly where it said. And um, and so he's, he's basically saying, hey, Jesus fulfilled this exact prophecy. And it's crazy to think that throughout the account we read, Jesus is going to these different cities, and they're like literally all foretold. It's, it's so specific and delicate, but he's, he's fulfilling all these things. So I'm going to read not just 9, 1, and 2. I want to read the, this whole kind of picture for you so you get it. Uh, this is Isaiah. I'm going to start in, uh, at the beginning of 9. Oh, well, I guess it's called verse 23, but... Uh, the gloom will be dispelled for those who were anxious. In earlier times, he humiliated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But now he brings honor to the way of the sea, the region beyond the Jordan, and Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in the land of deep darkness. You have enlarged the nation. You give them great joy. They rejoice in your presence as harvesters rejoice, as warriors celebrate when they divide up plunder. For their oppressive yoke and the club that strikes their shoulders, the cudgel the oppressors uses on them... You have shattered as in the day of Midian's defeat. Indeed, every boot that marches and shakes the earth and every garment dragged through blood is used as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. He shoulders responsibility and is called extraordinary strategist, mighty God, everlasting father prince of peace, and his dominion will be vast. He will bring immeasurable prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it, strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forward and forevermore. The Lord's intense devotion to his people will accomplish this. This is like a really cool, it's, I mean, it's just so telling of what Jesus is doing, and it's, it's giving you this idea of this community, Galilee, this region that is essentially depressed. It doesn't have near the stature of Jerusalem. It's like a rainy day. It's just like, yeah, it's average. It's maybe not that great. People are sad. People are anxious. People are dealing with something. And Jesus spends almost his entire public ministry there. It's a reminder. I mean, this is just a continual theme. If, If you're following along each week, the amount of times that Jesus willingly stepping into, not the like the pretty and, and beautiful areas, but like the muck and the mire and the depressed and the anxious, like is just astronomical. His entire lineage was full of those stories, uh, where he was born, uh, and, and the way they had to move to Egypt, and his early story to bring up was full of that. And now he's spending all of his time not only born in a podong town, but staying in a podong region to do the things that he's gonna do. And, and it's, just, it's honestly really humbling when we think about, if, where would Jesus be today if he was here on Earth, I think he'd unfortunately be in Ann Arbor. <laughs> he'd be ministering to the Michigan fans. And, and a lot of times we think like, you know he would, um, he would be in a specific place doing specific things, but I really think he'd be at the places that you don't want to go to, the places that you don't feel comfortable in, the places that you probably don't know a lot of people, because they're not in the walks of life that you live, in the circles that you're in. And Jesus says, "I, I want to be there more than anyone else." So enough about location, we'll move on to, uh, to talking about, like I said, this, the tattoo verse. The, the thing that, that is really Jesus if he had a gravestone, this is what we'd put on it. Verse 17, it says, um, From that time Jesus began to preach this message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you remember, this was what John the Baptist preached just a few uh, verses or chapters or so earlier. And to be honest, I had asked this question to a few different people this last week in some circles that I'm in and I asked, what do you think is the number one message that Jesus communicates throughout his time on earth? And and honestly, no one got it. People who, you know, maybe weren't Christians at all, that was fun to hear what they'd say. People who were Christians, people who were pastors, like most people had no idea. And so here Matthew is spinning this Jesus that we all follow. That a lot of, maybe some of us have followed him for our whole lives, and we have no idea what his central message is. And you know, I was thinking about it, and I've been writing this like little mini book for our church. It's called Following Jesus, and it's essentially when we did our original series when we first launched, that hashtag back in the park days, you know. And yeah, that was that was awesome. We uh, we went through this like seven part series, and just what's what's the roots for following Jesus? And I wanted to create this one page. This is my type A this, I want to create this one page bullet list of, like, here's just some, like, facts about Jesus, just so we kind of get this, this quick little view of him, and we remember the, the key facts of, like, he did a bunch of miracles. He saved people. Here was his message. Here, here was his life, death, and resurrection, what that meant, like, just, just like, 20 bullet points, um, and they all have, like, footnotes to scripture, and I was personally just shocked at, like, all right, I need to boil down Jesus's, like, ministry message on earth into, like, two points. And it was not what I thought it would be, and it was this. It was the, f- the amount of times that it, this is said is ridiculous. In fact, in Matthew alone, this is, this is said 20 about 20 times, the idea of repentance of the kingdom of God in relation. And so it's, it's assumed in the 28 chapters, basically every page you're on, a page and a half, like it's there. And Jesus is essentially probably not going to go to a space and not start off or end with his central message, repent, the kingdom of God is near. We have to realize that the entire foundation of what he's doing is, is rooted on this. And that's why it says, from the time Jesus began to preach this message, it's essentially saying like he's carrying that statement throughout the next 12 chapters. He's not just saying, like he did it right here. He's saying from this time and on, this is his message. This is what he's here for. Now, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We've talked a little bit about repent repentance. So we've talked a little bit about the kingdom of heaven or also known as the kingdom of God. They're essentially the same thing. The idea is, Uh, Repentance is like the turning away from your sins. In the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I had a whiteboard up here and I drew circles. The kingdom of heaven is God's power and sovereignty uh, among us. And so Jesus is, is coming as the kingdom and the king, and he is ushering in the new kingdom that was originally the reality of Genesis 1, the first page of your Bible, this beautiful flourishing that God had created. And so Jesus is taking these pockets in 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 the brokenness of the world, and he's creating kingdom, kingdom of heaven um, opportunities. And so Jesus is saying, turn from what you're doing, turn from your own kingdom, and and notice the king who's here in his kingdom. Now, to be honest, this is, this is like, you know, you think about this, and and I, I wondered, I was personally thinking, why have I not, like, grabbed this message more? And it's not that, like, we don't maybe know it, you've heard it, you're like, yeah, repent, that's Part of the Christian faith, but we don't really live as though this is the central theme of Jesus' teachings. We much rather talk about turning the cheek, another cheek, you know, when someone slaps you, or uh, you know, like uh, telling a, a easy parable about like giving to Caesar what Caesar's and God what's God's. We like remember these love our neighbor as ourselves. We remember all these little like these little great teacher, moral teacher things, right? But Jesus is not just a moral teacher. He did not come to earth just be a great teacher. There's plenty of great teachers in the world. And I, I've talked about this with how a lot of people who are more on the, uh, who are agnostic or atheist and more on the humanism side, just think Jesus is a great moral teacher, but it only gets you so far. He's not just a moral teacher. And, and part of the reason why I think I'm, I've been processing why this is not popular in our brains, why this is not the thing that we think of, is because it, I don't think it's the thing we want it to be. I don't think we want that to be the central message. I don't think we get excited about, like, a friend who's really struggling, and we'd be like, hey, you should just repent. The kingdom is here. Like, we don't say that. We don't get excited to say that. Uh, in fact, it might not be handled well. And, uh, and, and I, I was, I, to be honest, I was like, I don't, like, lead with that. I don't, like, even really like saying that very often. It sounds very forcing and, and very uh, intense. And I've been, I've been reading this book. I'm sure you've heard me quote it uh, by A.J. SwedoBa, And, um he says this about repentance. He says, Repentance is waking up to the fact that we don't get to love the God we want. True worship is loving the God who is. Repentance is waking up to the fact that we don't get to love the God we want. True worship is loving the God who is. And I read that, and, and it, it doesn't sit super well. <laughs> You're like, that's kind of mean. Like, that's, I don't like that. And, and, you know, you start to think, okay, why, why don't we like that? And, uh, and it starts to just kind of, it just feels tense, right? It feels, it's not all happy and fuzzy. It's like a rainy day out. You're not sure about it. And, um, and I, I just started, I resonated with this. And, and it was just like, I, I couldn't, I was more disturbed by the fact that I didn't like hearing that statement, than, but knowing that I believe it to be true. And Matthew does this with Jesus as these Jews are listening. And Matthew is not holding back. And, and I think that, that what's, what we forget about in, in these Gospels is how much we are taking what we believe Jesus to be, putting that into who Matthew is showing us. It's like Matthew's saying these words, and then we just interpret them through our own cultural lens sometimes, and without even like, realizing it, we are creating Jesus in who we want him to be instead of who he truly is. And he, uh, uh, AJ shares this story, and I just want to read it um, for you. i going to find it here. He talks about this, um, this, this um, person who had lived in World War II during the, the Nazi regime, and, uh, and his name was Van Kam. And he recounts a story of a volunteer nurse he had encountered who was caring for lepers in the midst of uh, World War II. And Van Kam asks her some questions. It says that I asked her if she liked what she was doing, caring for lepers as a volunteer nurse. And she answered, liking is not the right word. I feel appalled by the dirt, the stench, the disfiguration of the patients they carry in from the bush. Often I feel like running away, but I stay for the love of God. I try to see Christ in their fractured bodies. This helps me to honor them with full attention in the midst of faith, or in the midst of filth, groans, despair, and death. In this sense, yes, I love my work, but I cannot as yet say that I like it. We are called to love Jesus. And as profound and, and provocative as it might sound, there's sometimes where we don't like it. And this was really, I think, what his quote got me to, was the fact that we really don't like following Jesus, that, that he says some things that we don't like. In fact, we have a hard time really even believing that. And in fact, I've asked the question to a few people, like, how, how do you respond if you believe Jesus is Lord and he tells you to do something that you really don't like? And a lot of times, we, we create our, our kingdoms, our lives, in such a way that we don't have to deal with that, those things. For instance, let's say that you're feeling a conviction from the Spirit to um, be kinder to your friend or your spouse or whatever, right? Well, the only way that you typically will feel that conviction is from the Spirit. And a lot of times, it's people in your life that are saying, hey, you were a jerk to that person. Or that person's like, hey, you were a jerk to me. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll stiff-arm people so that they don't have the ability to call us out in our lives. Or we, will, we don't like a certain teaching, so we go listen to one that's way more like, loving and kind and doesn't actually push us and grow us in, in the way of Jesus. And, and we do this all the time. We create kingdoms that, that we would say are tolerant and, and are not like, selfish, but they're these walls because we don't want the things that we don't like in our kingdom. And Jesus' central message is turn away from your kingdom, throw it away, and follow mine. Uh, A.J. After he reads this story, he talks about how uh, we're in the post-Christian West, which is uh, this idea of, of the culture that Christians in, in America are in. and uh, And he said he he read this account and he delivered a bunch of lectures. Uh, he's a, he was a professor. He's a professor in Portland. And he said after one lecture, a student offhandedly commented, "Professor, if I'm honest, <laughs> I don't like Christianity much anymore." Everyone seems to be running away from it. I'm struggling to find a reason. Why should I stay? He said her statement landed awkwardly in the classroom, but it was mostly a reflection of brutal honesty. Searching within for some response, he said I struggled to locate a satisfying answer, and he told the story of Van Cam, who says, I might not say that I like it, but I know I love it. And and he asked the final question with his class. He said, what if we were never called to like Jesus? What if we were called to follow him? how challenging it has become to faithfully follow Jesus in a like culture. He talks about how years of interactions have led him to this. And, and to be honest, it's, it's astonishing. And uh, I want to I throw some stats up if you guys like stats. Barna Research does some of the best Christian stats. And it really kind of explains this like culture. So the first one uh, is asking a bunch of Christians, these are different generations, uh, when you die, basically when you die, what do you, th- what do you believe will happen? And uh, the all is just all of them put together. But uh, if you're like, let's just say 20, 23 to 43, you're a millennial, older, you're a Gen Xer and Boomer elders. And you look at, go to heaven because you obeyed the Ten Commandments. There's about one in 20 people think that's the case. Go to heaven because you're basically a good person. That's 8%, so that's 13% of these two answers. Go to the next one, 13%. Uh, 63% say go to heaven because you have confessed your sins and have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Go to heaven because, you, because God loves all people will not let them perish. <laughs> not go to heaven. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, I don't know what will happen after I die. So a little over two, uh, one third of people uh, have no clue what, what really following Jesus looks like. In fact, a lot of these ideas have come from ideas that they like. They like them more than they believe them. And I think this is staggering because this means one in three Christians are in these, these camps. And we talk about following Jesus and, and a third of the people around us are, want, want to just really follow the things that, that they like. They're, they're subdued by the culture. And, and I, I just, like, it's, it feels tense. And so reading this story, reading back to Matthew, reading this and knowing where Jesus is going for the next 12 chapters, I think we're going to fall in love with who Jesus is and what he does for people. But we cannot, we cannot downplay and forget what he came for. And I, I think the most, the most powerful thing we realize is when we are in the midst of repentance, when we, when we turn away from our kingdom, when we decide our kingdom is not worth it, and we start to pursue the kingdom of God, and we start to live in among that, we, we realize how foolish our kingdom was. But it's typically not until we're in this kingdom that we realize that. And so there's a lot of us that are in this weird dance. We have hands in both and we're trying to follow God's kingdom, but we have a lot of things we want to hold on to still, and we are not seeing the freedom that we find when we let go of this hand and we go into the kingdom of God. And so for most of you, I just want to encourage you that Jesus' introduction here, and this is the, this is the thing that I want us to ruminate in over the next several weeks, is that his, his priority in his introduction for the foundation he's laying is that we turn back to God from our own ways because the king in his kingdom is here. And There's two pieces that come with that. One is you belong to the kingdom, which means that you, you believe in the work that Jesus has done. You're turning away from your kingdom. You're seeing God's kingdom for what it is, and you're, you're stepping into that. You belong in that kingdom as a follower of Jesus. But the second piece is you know what that kingdom is. That, that's the whole point of Matthew is some of these Jews are Christians. They're trying to figure out, okay, am I still Jewish culturally? Do I Follow these purification laws? Do I not eat pork? Like, do, what do I do? How do I, what, what do I do? And Matthew gives you this full picture of who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. And even though people are eager to be in God's kingdom, they have no idea what it actually is or when it's in front of them. And that's what Jesus is doing over these next 12 chapters. He's doing healings and miracles, and he's, he's starting to stir the people, and he's starting to make them realize that the kingdom that they put their trust in is futile and it will not last but he does these little healings and glimpses of seeing the kingdom on earth and the reality of what we will inherit and receive for eternity in the life that we place our trust in Jesus. And he starts to show these glimpses and he starts to, to basically show you the beauty of, of the contrasting kingdoms that we, that we deal with. And so in order to belong to the kingdom, we also we need to know what is the kingdom, like what is in it. And one third of Christians seem to have no idea Moving into verse 18, it kind of shifts gears now. He, he, he lays down his foundation and now he's going he's gonna to acquire people to follow him and help build this with him. In verse 18, it says, As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of people. And they left their nets immediately and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, then he called them. Then they immediately left the boat, and their father, and followed him. This is this is what is so fascinating when we read this account. There's three different like accounts of um, there's four, but three uh, kind of different ones of, of the calling of the disciples, the people who follow Jesus, and they're all very different. And a lot of times we think that. Uh, Peter and Andrew were just in a boat fishing, they had never heard of this guy named Jesus, they'd never met him anything like that, and all of a sudden this random guy yells, and he's like, hey, follow me or one of the other ones, he made a miracle he made them put their nets on the other side of the boat, and they catch all these fish, and they're like, we're going to follow this guy and people think like, it, it was this like just crazy, it'd be as the same as if you're going and you're pumping gas and someone's like, hey, come with me to Texas like, I'm going to do some stuff there, and you're like, okay, and you just hop in their car and that's the end of it it was not like that, uh, because we look at the other stories of the disciples. Is the, Jesus has is, is been living in Capernaum. It's not a very big city, maybe 10,000 people. People had heard of Jesus. They'd known of him. In fact, they probably had heard him speak. And so these, these pre-disciples were aware of and probably had seen or heard or understood Jesus and a bit of what he was doing. And so when, when he's calling them, though, he goes from here's my mission, right? and then here's the people I'm going to grab onto. He just takes these, these fishermen, which was very common. That was like their main commerce. They were on the Sea of Galilee. And he takes these, these fishermen and he tells them to follow him. And it's not, the, the command is, is a command. It is not like a suggestion. Hey, would you guys be interested in following me all around Galilee and then maybe in Jerusalem? It's, hey, follow me. It's a command. And it shows Jesus' authority in our lives that, that when he calls us and he bids us to take our cross, that it's not like, hey, maybe if you feel like it, maybe if you like it, it's like, no, no, follow me. And so these disciples had heard enough to know that their lives and their kingdom was not fulfilling them in the way that they knew Jesus could. And for many of us, I think we're actually more in that tension than we realize. We, we know what Jesus is capable of doing, but the circumstances, the culture, uh, I don't know, the things we love in our lives are just too powerful of a kingdom. And, and Jesus calls them and he commands them and the phrase, follow me, is, is lost in the modern day. Follow me as a rabbi, a teacher, which is what they had called him, would be an extremely literal following. In fact, it literally meant to walk behind. <laughs> you, ever, um, you ever do that game where you, uh, you like, uh, is it called shadowing or ghosting, where like someone walks and then someone else tries to walk exactly like them, and then you see how many people, you can like, get behind them without that person knowing. <laughs> It's, it's essentially that literal. It's like you're walking behind them. You're taking every step they take in the way they take it, in the length they take it. You are, you are becoming them. And when Jesus commands them to do this, he's saying, live with me. Learn by watching me. He's saying, own my values, my priorities. Learn to become passionate for the things that I live for and follow my example by doing the ministry that I've come to do. And so for us, if we are followers of Jesus, this is, this is the things that we own. We don't just do the things we think sound good or the things that we like. We follow in his own values, his priorities, his heart, his way, and we follow that example. And I just think there's so many ways in my own life where I do some things that are really like easy or comfortable or culturally normal or, or other people are doing around me, but the other things I, I just kind of neglect. And I'm like, well, I'm doing fine. I'm like, got these things. And and it's, 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 a, it's a radical call, and it's, it's a demand. Uh, some, one, one scholar wrote, the call is, uh, was an unconditional, unexplained demand. It was not a polite, reasoned invitation. Following Jesus involved, both traveling with him and ethically obeying his teaching and modeling God's will, and it could and did lead to hardship and peril. Jesus calls these fishermen, and I asked myself the question, and I don't know if you've ever thought this, like, did Jesus actually need his disciples? What's the point of these guys? They, they really don't do very well. In fact, they bring him down several times. At one point, we talked about Peter literally makes Jesus say, get behind me, Satan, as he's, like, tempting him to not do what, uh, what Jesus needs to be doing. And, and you think about it, like, why did Jesus call these disciples, especially the, the ones he did, they were all just such a ragtag group of guys, especially culturally, just intellectually. They were young. They were most in their teens, and and I just remember thinking about um, John and how he's just a bizarre guy. He wore and weird, weird clothes and, and, and ate weird things. And and I, I think about John though. John had hundreds of disciples. He had tons of disciples following him before Jesus came. And I think Jesus, when he calls these disciples, we know that it's not really for him, but we also know that Jesus is is, is showing us this way to live, to be human. And I think Jesus is showing us that I'm going to take these people who will typically backstab, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of disease and sickness among the people. So, the report about him spread through Syria. People brought to him all who suffered with various illnesses and afflictions, those who had seizures, paralytics, those possessed by demons, and he healed them. And large crowds followed him from Galilee. And Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan River. People, literally from everywhere, hundreds of miles, are following this man named Jesus, who has a very pointed and difficult message. He draws in these disciples who get to see this with him. And Matthew says, He preaches the gospel of the kingdom. This is the first time, the first of four times that Matthew uses the word good news, the gospel. We talk about it. It's like a very Christianese word, like the gospel, sharing the gospel. Believe me, it's all about the gospel. Like We, we use that word, and, and really what it means is good news. And the good news that Jesus is talking about is the things that you had, this is specifically for the Jewish people in Matthew, the, the laws that you have been putting your faith into, hoping that it would give you this ability to be close with God, have failed. And that's bad news. But the good news is that I have come to fulfill all of those things. That I have I have caused I have come to cease the striving, that I have come unconditionally for you, so that the law, the heart of the law, the spirit of the law might be fulfilled through the one who dies for us. And that's the good news that we get, that that we we remember that even, even as Christians, I think people have a hard time falling into this, I need to do, I need to de- be these things, I need to like, grow in this way, and we've become guilty and racked up in this condemnation cycle. And Jesus says, I've came for all of that. I've come to preach the gospel of the kingdom, that your kingdom that you're creating, whether it's good things or things you like, whatever it is, is not as good as my kingdom. And I want to show you why and how, and that's what he's doing uh, in these next few verses, when he's healing people and and preaching in the synagogues, but also what he'll be doing for the next twelve chapters publicly. And so, I just want to close as we as we think about this. I just really think we have to ask ourselves: what areas of our life have we really been neglecting a spirit, um, the spirit's conviction in? Because we just we just don't like it. <laughs> I mean, I think about like January first and how many people are just so pumped to join Planet Fitness. And just do months of training, you know. And I, I'd love to see the numbers on, like, month, like, four, how many people are still members, you know. Or they're still members, but they don't go. <laughs> and, and I just think we, we, just, we really don't like doing things we don't like to do. <laughs> We're human. I, uh, I take shortcuts. I, I'm like, ugh, it rained all weekend. I should probably mow the grass. But eh, I'll wait another week. Like, there's just every day I live things I don't want to do and I don't do them. And following Jesus is, is, is difficult sometimes. And so I want to encourage you guys not to make you feel like dirt because the good news is good news. That if you're feeling like that, that you need to give that to Jesus because he is taking that. The only thing he requires of you in the midst of that is seeing his kingdom. It's turning yourself to see his kingdom for what it really and truly is and who he truly is. And I think that's the most freeing thing that we can receive continually and daily. So I want to invite the band up, and I, I kind of want that to be um, on our hearts as we enter into a time of reflection. It's funny because um, this, this kingdom that, that we, uh, we have, you know, I think that we create, or the kingdom we're trying to follow, it, when we start to realize the weight of repentance and how hard it is, we start to realize the ways that we're falling short. And that's what is so beautiful about this reflection time, is it gives us the opportunity as a church together to do it together to, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, to take the, uh, the, the bread and the cup, which is in the back if you need to grab one, um, and this is a reminder of Christ fulfilling the things that we can't. It's him making the sacrifice for the sins that we can't um, um, remove ourselves. And uh, so I'd encourage you, if you'd like to take that, there's also gonna be people in the back who would love to pray for you as well. If you need prayer for anything, we have people in the back that would love to do that. And then, uh, Or you could just sit and reflect. We're gonna give you about a minute or so, and then... Um, And then the band's going to play one more song. But I just want to close with this. Jesus did not come and die so that you could say you'd follow him only to keep building your own kingdom without him. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.